Welcome to season four of the Dynamic Leader podcast. My name is Shelley Flett. I believe that leadership at its core requires strong relationships, the ability to sit in a space of genuine curiosity and the courage to build capability in others. I believe great leaders are lifelong learners. And so my intention is to help you to continue your learning journey by bringing you new perspectives from experts in their field. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another Dynamic Leader Conversation. So today our topic is around becoming a better people leader. Um, seems appropriate, um, something I think we're all trying to aspire to, to doing when we're in this space. Uh, my guest today uh, is Dr. Dominic McLaughlin, and he is a people management specialist. He's both an educator as well as a consultant, uh, and he has... Um, over 20 years experience in leadership and people management. He's helped thousands of managers to be better at managing their people. Uh, and he's also taught hundreds of university courses to people around people management um, and undertook his PhD at the University of New South Wales, which focused on building trust within organisations. So a lot of questions around that um, and, you know, how you actually find the, the patience and the perseverance to do a PhD. But thank you so much for joining us, Dominic. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thanks, Shelley. Where did you find the patience and the, the perseverance to do a PhD? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, it was kind of one of those things that as you go through life, um, your circumstances change. And so I had the opportunity just for our family circumstances to work part time. And so I thought, well, you know, um, looking after kids isn't that hard. I'll do a PhD as well, which was wrong. <laughs> so um it actually, it took me about 10 years. So I was doing it part-time um, and just doing a little bit at a time. So yeah, it wasn't really that easy. And yeah, it, it did require a bit of patience and I didn't always have that patience. <laughs> yeah. What was your, um, what was your biggest insight in, you know, cause 10 years is, is a decent amount of time. Um, yeah. yeah. What was your biggest insight? Well, I, I guess I was kind of going into it um, with an interest in, why some managers were able to deal with change whereas others weren't and I was working in an IT company um, so what I, what I found was that some and they, there they would change every six months whether they needed to or not like it was kind of like a okay we have a, like a change around and you know we go from geographic to you know to market stream versus you know and back and forth so I was really interested in that whole thing of like some people felt that their manager kind of had their back when changes were happening and so that seemed to make a big difference. So I was interested in more of those, what are those personal characteristics of those managers or their behaviours or whatever it is that really help them to bring their team with them in those changes, whereas others would really struggle. So that was kind of what prompted me to commence it. Um, and I guess the biggest insight was that it kind of came down to people's perception of the character of the manager. So it's like, a lot of the things that I know you talk about yourself um, in terms of like, you know, do I trust them to represent me honestly? Do I trust them to persevere in terms of this change and make a way through it? All those sorts of things were really what seemed to make a difference. And trust is, is being covered a lot in the last 50 years. And to me, that seemed to be a bit of an outcome of that kind of character of the manager. So that's sort of what I was trying to look into. How does that actually work in terms of the relationships there? Statistically? Yeah. yeah. And it makes, it makes a lot of sense when you kind of put it like that, that the two are, are really strongly inter, interlinked. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of, um, I guess in some ways it, this, the outcomes weren't that surprising because I sort of, 
thought I'd seen it anecdotally, but I was very pleased to see that the kind of stats backed up what I'd observed. So that was kind of what I was really interested in doing. Mm. And do you find that the same way that people, um, you know, either like change or they don't like change is that they build trust versus they don't build trust? Like some people will trust implicitly and others will take time. Is Was there a correlation, did you find, between the two? Yeah, so that again, that's a really good point because um, one of the things I had to control for was people's individual disposition to trust. So if if that had been a greater kind of statistical element, then the equations wouldn't have really worked. So um, I was actually controlling for that. So it was like taking that aside, how does trust um, act as an outcome? So, but yeah, it does make a difference. Yeah, and and I think um, it's just it's good for for leaders to be aware of um, you know is this person someone that will trust straight up or do I need to work for it? But yeah. the the also the other side of that is just because someone trusts me straight up doesn't mean I'm going to hold it. And I think yeah. I don't know I you know keen to get your thoughts on this, but uh, I think that sometimes we take it for granted that you know if you if you trust me straight up, then I've actually got that, and I might not necessarily yeah. work as hard. Yeah. No, for sure. There's a, a, a came across a like a Scandinavian proverb kind of saying that I really like, and that is that trust arrives on foot, but it leaves on horseback. I saw that in your book. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I think that's true. You know, so we can we can think oh, I've got this because everyone trusts me, but actually, a few you know a few repeated interactions where trust is undermined can really uh, dis you know dissipate it very quickly. And and do you find because I'm thinking about change and you know when I was. Uh, when I was working in the corporate environment that sometimes change kind of crept up and it was almost thrust upon you quite quickly or with unrealistic timeframes or with a, what on earth are we doing this for? Like, I kind of don't get it, but you didn't have the time or you didn't have the confidence to kind of ask the questions. And so then you go to your team and you, you might um, not consider trust through that change process is that, um, it'd be, it's very easy, I think, to lose trust, even with those that you've built a really good level of, if you don't manage that change process well. Yeah, I think that that's a good point. I think um, all of us as managers have kind of come across a situation where there's some change where, as you say, we don't understand it or might even, even in fact, sort of intellectually disagree with it. Um, and somehow we've got to try and sell that. Uh, so I think, I think that's where the kind of being as honest as you can with your team is really important. Um, things like saying, well, look, I'm not sure why we're doing this. We don't really have time to find out or we, we're not able to find out. So, you know, given that it's thrust upon us, how do we best deal with it? You know, so sometimes, and you're not always in a position to be as open and honest as that, but that's, I think, what you'd try to do um, to, to actually say, well, look, you know, and I guess you've got to be a little bit careful because it's a balance. So if I'm saying, look, I don't really agree with this, then your people are not really going to be that engaged with trying to. So it is a difficult kind of, I think that's where as as leaders of people, we are always sort of under tension in the sense of like, well, I want to try and be as honest and open as I can, but at the same time, I've got to support the goals of the organisation. So there's a balance. Um, so it's not easy. Uh, if we ever find the answer, then we'll both be rich. I, I wonder if, um, you know, a lot of it or some of it is that um, rather than I don't agree with it is that I don't yet understand it, but I'm seeking to. Because I think, I mean, there's there's always a good reason why things happen, but it's the lack of understanding around the the thought process behind that that I see as being the biggest obstacle. Yeah, no, I'd agree. And in fact, you know, if I don't intellectually agree with something, probably that's a signal that I need to go and make some more inquiries to understand, you know, because people don't usually make change without um, some sort of reason. 
Um, I think where it, where it can break down is where change is almost done as like a poor performance management type of exercise where it's like, hey, we're just going to do these, we'll make these people redundant because they weren't performing. You know, so that's where it becomes more difficult. <laughs> and then you kind of go, well, if, if leaders aren't um, being open and, you know, understanding why changes are being made and they're not being able to articulate what that is, i.e. build the story around it, kind yeah. of get comfortable with that themselves, then making statements like, I don't agree with it, but we're doing it anyway kind of thing. It, it For me, I feel like that lacks a little bit of integrity, but it undermines the whole remain curious and open concept that I think we're wanting to encourage people to do. I'm keen to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, you know, we're sort of talking there about some of the worst case scenarios and maybe, mm. maybe I guess where I'm sort of coming from with that is like, as a leader, I want to be able to be, you know, maintain my own integrity and be open and honest with my team. So there's an extent to which I can control that um, because of the things that are within my control. When it's challenged from the outside, then I need to really go and and say, well, you know, how can I understand more, uh, more, with more clarity and with more purpose um, so that I can then explain it to my team in a way that allows me to retain my integrity? Because uh, if I'm in a position where I feel like, you know, this is, this is just a change for the sake of it, then, you know, that's, there's no way you're going to sell that to your team. So it's about, you know, I've got to take that on board myself to really go and understand what's going on and mm. to be able to build the narrative, as you say, to, because people they need to know like what you know how does this fit in with a larger goal or how does it fit in with my career or how does it fit in with you know what's going to happen to me as soon as you say there are changes people are immediately thinking Am, have I got a job that's sort of the first question so mm. that's something that's you know got to be addressed more substantially than just uh oh you know we have to do it um so yeah mm. it is it's it's a tricky kind of situation sometimes um, in your book, Be a Better Manager in Five Minutes a Day, and I love that whole concept of five minutes, I'm like, do it quick. Um, but you talk a lot about reflection and I wonder, you know, thinking about what we've just spoken around change and mm. leaders, I, I wonder if there's a almost a, a stage that, and it's really intentional and really conscious where it is, okay, I... I've been delivered this change remit and this is what we need to do. Um, I'm going to inquire a little bit as to why that is and what my views on that are. But is there a time, is there a, do we need to put in a little bit of a, a space to go, I, I now need to reflect on this before I go to my team? Because I think that the two are, you know, I get it, I give it, are sometimes way too quick. Yeah. No, I agree. And, and just to uh, clarify, the five minutes a day is more about saying it is a journey but yeah. start somewhere. You know? We'll get to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I think I think reflection is a really important um, component. And I think one of the one of the issues for leaders is we're under so much time pressure that that's often the first thing to go is like time for reflection, time for planning, time for understanding. Um, but I think it's critical because I I can't sell something that I don't really understand or agree with myself in the long term. Yeah. So that reflection, I, I would say, has to be built into your timetable as one of your key priorities because. If we don't have, if we're not in a good place ourselves, then we're never going to be able to bring people along with us. So that reflection is so important in terms of aligning, like how does this fit in with the goals of the organisation? Also, how does it fit in with myself and my team? And you know, how do I um, explain it, interpret it, you know, create a narrative around it, as you said, so that people are able to come on board with whatever's happening? And because change is increasing um, and it's becoming more frequent and perhaps more extensive each time, 
it's becoming more and more of a challenge to deal with that on an ongoing basis. Yeah. And so reflection as it applies to the book, yes. can you tell us a little bit about that? I, I like how you sort of built that into each of the sections. Yeah, so really what, I, what I'm trying to suggest, and I guess it's aimed more at, you know, people who are new leaders or new managers and just sort of starting out, but I, I've tried to use principles that I think are applicable throughout, you know, your leadership career. Uh, I think what, it, what it's trying to do is break down different components of what it is to lead people and to really consider uh, what does it mean for me, first of all, and how do I prioritise the various things that are on my plate? But then secondly, how am I going to actually explain that to my team? So there's two kind of almost separate pieces there about, okay, so I need to understand it, I need to take it on board, but then I need to be, you know, be able to explain it and to support people in whatever it is that we're doing, whether it's business as usual or a major change, mm-hmm. and and to really um, align sort of the goals of the organisation, the goals of the team, my goals and their goals. And it's partly about you know, having those open communications and understanding what it is that people really want to do themselves in their own career. So there's a lot about that sort of individual connection with each member of the team and not just trying to deal with them holistically. I mean, obviously, it's a balance again, but I've got to understand each person and where they're coming from, where they're hoping to go in order to be able to make those connections and to then explain, you know, the implications of various things. Mm. Connection, I think, is something that's... um... I think we try to we try to do it too quickly. I yeah. I will often be asked questions when I'm running programs about, you know, I've got so many different personalities in my team. How do I connect with all of them? And I, mm. and you know, I I don't know whether there's another answer to this, but my theory is, well, you've got to connect with them individually to understand yeah. them. Like once you've got that individual connection, you can bring them together. Yeah. Um, is that like is there in can can you really have deep connections with people just at a group level? Because I don't I don't see how you can. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I don't see how you can either. I think when we talk about bringing your team along with you, it is about keeping an eye on the goals of the team. But at the end of the day, it comes down to the goals of each of those individuals as part of meeting the goals of the team. So I think it's got to come back. Like I, I personally think that trust and relationships are individual. Um, there is such a thing as trusting my organization, but what that tends to mean is I trust the person in charge of the organization. So, you know, it is personal, I think. How do you see one of the things that I've noticed, um, and I noticed this with a group that I'm really strongly connected with, like there's a particular woman that I've done most of my training with and she's amazing and she has this certain, she's got values that she really, um, they're just, they're just beautiful. She's all about, you know, openness and abundance and growth and just success of the collective. And it's just this amazing space. And anyone that comes in and works with her feels connected to that. And so, you know, every time I meet someone who is a fellow student of May, um, you, it's like I have this automatic trust for them if they've got through her program and they're, you know, and they're talking well about it that I go, okay, I can, I can trust but I think with a leader, it can be similar is that if I trust my leader and you trust the leader, then I will trust you. Yes. Yes. I think there is an element of that. So, I mean, obviously um, when we're talking about teams, there's, there's a sort of vertical trust, but there's also that, you know, trust in my, in my peers or, or the other people in my team. Um, and so that in, in a way that sort of trust that you've worked on to build up with each member of the team is then communicated by them laterally to the people they're working with. So people come and go, well, this guy, you know, this guy, this lady, they're really good. Um, you can you can trust what they say. They do what they say they're going to do. You know, so that you're already starting with a great kind of basis for it's like 
you kind of have to do something wrong to disprove a trusted mm. skill. So, um, yeah, I think you're right. I think there is an element of, you know, and, and again, we take, we do, we trust like, you know, perhaps take a controversial example. We trust that man has landed on the moon because there's so much evidence. I've never seen that. I've never been there. But in the same way, I trust when someone says to me, well, this person is trustworthy and here's some examples of how they've helped me. I tend to trust that because I've got to start, you know, you start from a basis of believing what people tell you, uh, generally speaking, otherwise you go crazy. Mm, absolutely. And it seems the more willing you are to trust, whether it's people or things or process or the universe or whatever it is, that yeah. the um, more comfortable they seem to be with things that are outside of their control. I, I can see that there's a correlation between the two. Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't really thought about that. But yeah, it's, I guess it's kind of like we all know at a certain level that there is stuff in the world that's just outside of our control. So if we have a sense of trust that, you know, basically there are good people trying to do good things and it should be okay in the long term, you know, then we're probably in a better kind of a kind of state ourselves than if we're sort of like feeling like everything's going wrong and the whole world's out to get us. That's, that's not a good place to be. It's an interesting journey when I think about it, you know, over the past 12 months, I've actually been on my own trust journey. Um, and a lot of that has been just letting go of this control that I really like. Yeah, <laughs> me too. Been... <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, tackling it at, at different levels, um, you know, as a parent, as a leader, as a as a professional, um, but really that, that self, you know, the, I have been, I started rock climbing about a year ago and wow. I'm terrified of, um, of falling and, you know, every week I go and I put myself on the wall and I trust in my partner and I trust in the equipment and, um, and it's like every week I'm having a conversation with myself about it. So I don't know, it feels like it's, it's a bit of a journey. I think five years ago, you say to me, Hey, do you want to rock climb? I go, no way. <laughs> Definitely not happy with my feet on the ground. Yeah. Um, but the more I kind of delve into it and explore this concept around trust and the, the association with control and what that means for my health and well-being, the more I'm really curious about that kind of thing and wanting to test my own limits, my own boundaries. Yeah, that's really, it's a great analogy, actually. I mean, um, to believe that the, you know, the, the rope, it's not even rope, you know, it's synthetic, but, you know, and, and also the, the grips and the clamps and I forget the name of the little hooks. Um, but yeah, all of those things, they seem so flimsy. Um, and yet, you know, you, you can, you can, after your first kind of go, you kind of think, well, yeah, this is, this is great. Um, and then the next time you come back, you still have that, even though you've done it once, you still have that same sort of gut reaction of like, is it going to hold me or? As you say, is my partner going to be going to be fine with it? And I, I think there is a sense in which um, a lot of I would I would say just as a sort of general observation that a lot of leaders and managers kind of get to where they are because they're really good at you know having control in terms of their time, how they allocate it, getting you know their, their sort of you know task and project mm -hmm. and goal driven. Um, and in a way, that kind of leading people is kind of counterintuitive to that kind of personality in some ways, because it's no longer about you, you know, and your goals and you're managing everything, otherwise you become a micromanager. So I, I think there is a kind of a challenge, almost like a, a, a fundamental challenge to our way, of, our way of achieving success, a way of getting to where we are managing people, and then how do we actually manage once we get there? I think there's mm -hmm. a lot of rethinking that needs to be done. And do you think, because you talk about perceptions, um, in your book as well. And I just, I wonder whether uh, people want to perceive that a leader is in control and because of the perception, we feel like we need to create this reality, but actually the perception and the reality can be quite different in terms of control. 
Yeah, that's wow. That's a pretty interesting insight. Um, I think I think there is an element of that that actually we want to give the impression that we have everybody's back and therefore it's under control. But everything is not actually within our control. So there's a lot of things in an organisation completely outside of our control. Mm. So I guess that's where I, I was sort of coming back to trying to explain what's going on as mm. far as we can. Like sometimes there's things of confidentiality and we can't. But often. Often what people want is they want to get a sense that, you know, we're giving them the information that we know and putting it in context for them. So I think that's a way of kind of, it's not sort of a perception of control, but it's kind of being honest about what we do control, but also giving information about the fact we have our finger on the pulse, that that's the sense of control. It's about knowledge and understanding mm -hmm. what's happening and being aware of the dynamics. That's a sort of control that's not a control, if that makes sense. I, I agree. I think it's, I think our, uh, you know, the, the definition of control changes as you move through leadership. It yeah. goes out of this, you know, specific concrete piece of whatever it is to yeah. this more conceptual, but having the knowledge around it and less, less certainty, yes. but still a, almost like a, a similar sense of conviction. Yes, exactly. And in some ways, it's kind of like, I mean, risk management tends to be kind of, or can be very bureaucratic and tick boxy, but there is an element in which, you know, risk management is what you're doing as a people leader. It's like, okay, so I know that we've got this threat. I know that we've got this opportunity. It's like, well, weighing up the various options and saying, well, this looks like the most likely path forward and here's the reasons and let's go for it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, in terms of honesty, I, I mm. find that honesty is a really interesting one because yeah. there's this, well, we should always be honest. And I think I don't, I see, the, I see a difference between honesty and integrity. I think you can operate with integrity and not be, and even maybe the definition of honest is yeah. when, like, what is honesty? Is honesty just your opinion on something? Because I think I'm a little bit confused by what honesty is. Yeah, no, um, and that's that's a fair point. Like, I think there are so many kind of versions of honesty. Um, so I guess that's where I found it interesting that, um, so obviously when I did the survey about, you know, um, best and worst managers and honesty yes. was like a key difference between those two things. Um, I didn't get the opportunity to ask people what they meant by honesty. So that's kind of like difficult to know. But there's obviously a sense of people have an idea of what they mean by honesty and the person that's managing them, the person that's leading them. And I think what it is, is about um, trying to, uh, as you say, integrity is a key part of it. It's about trying to give information that you're able to, but also respecting confidences. So people, people would not see honesty as me giving you information that I said was confidential. Mm. So, so honesty is not a simple thing. It's not just because telling the whole truth is not always being honest because, you know, um, if I've been asked to keep something in confidence and I'm breaching honesty when I tell someone something that I shouldn't be telling them. So um, I also like that, that element that the other thing, the other key thing, it was really up there, I think is highly related to integrity and probably part of most people's perception of honesty. And that's doing what you say you're going to do. So there's an honesty in action as well. It's like, okay, so I say I'm going to do something. If I don't do it, I've breached an element of honesty there. So I think it is a multi kind of faceted concept. Mm. Um, and I think it is about um, trying to give people um, explanations of where you're sitting um, so that they understand your situation within reason um, and honesty, keeping confidences, but they understand your situation. So therefore it's, it's about being upfront. It's about giving as much information as you can. It's about, you know, not trying to, 
not trying to deceive people, mm. but also following through on what you say you're going to do. So it is multifaceted, but it's I think it's about, you know, um, it's an element of your personal integrity and your personal honesty of being as upfront as you can be, but also respecting when you're when you're unable to be, but maybe giving a, a sort of explanation like that's as much as I can say at the moment. But, you know, mm. let, rest assured, when I have more information, I'll let everyone know. Those sorts of things, I think, are a way of getting that balance of, of honesty. Yeah. Do you think a bit of it is around, you know, how uh, strong our connection is and your predictability? So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's that's another element of it. And that is um, exactly what you're saying there. That's like people know where they stand. So, you know, if you say, yeah, so if you say that, look, we're not we're not expecting to have any changes in the next three months or we're not expecting that anyone in our department is going to be affected or, you know, statements like that. You're not saying that people are completely safe, but you're saying that, you know, as far as you're able to tell, then we're not going to be affected by this restructure or this change or whatever. Um, and then if you're able to do that over time, people see that, you know, your assessment's pretty good um, and that they can trust what you're saying as being, as you say, predictable and likely, mm. then that's part of it. Um, I think that is part of it. Yeah. Do you think we're just a little bit too judgmental when it comes to honesty? Yeah, I think. I think that's probably a fair point. I think, um, and I think it probably comes back to what we were talking about earlier, that some people have a kind of view that uh, anyone in leadership is going to be kind of like doing me over, perhaps because of a bad experience in the past <laughs> or just their own sort of personality or whatever. Um, there's a sense in which, oh, they're only saying that because they want to catch me by surprise. Like in some ways there's there's a kind of, there's some assumptions and some judgments that individuals can have about people in those positions. So I think there is an element that you can never really satisfy everyone all the time. So all you can do is know that you're being as upfront and honest as you can be, that you mm -hmm. have a certain integrity in yourself and just be at peace with that, that not everyone's going to see it that way. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's what it comes down to. So interesting. I'm having this conversation. It's an ongoing conversation I'm having with my 11-year-old at the moment. Oh, and, right. um, you know, he said to me just this morning, mum, do you think I'm a good kid? And I said, why do you ask that? And he goes, I kind of get the feeling like I haven't really um, had anyone say that I'm being good. And I said, well, what did I say to you the other day? And he goes, that it's none of my business what other people think. I'm like, that's right. So it's not your business what other people think. But the question for you is, do you think you're being a good kid? And he goes, yeah. And I said, well, if you can tap into that part of you whenever you think that. And so part of it is, you know, part of this ongoing conversation is, well, just be honesty, honest with yourself, but operate with your own integrity and, and be less reliant on, the voices of those around you. Not that it doesn't matter. It's just no. that, you know, it's it's important to have that internal reference. Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, there's so much additional pressure on on kids and but on everybody in terms of like, there's a certain pressure to be a certain persona. And we sort of tend to operate more on, you know, the personas being projected on social media or whatever. Mm. Um, so in some ways, there's, there's a challenge to all of us to kind of be our true real selves. Um, so I think that's 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 a pressure that perhaps wasn't there 10 years ago. I mean, it was always, um, and there's always elements of it because we want to fit in. You know, that's part of our social being. So there's always an element of it, but I just think that pressure has increased. So yeah, I think that's a really important point that you make there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, you know, thinking about um, 
you know, being a better manager and, and the five minutes a day, tell us about that concept. You know, where did, where did that come from? Cause I've got some questions around five minutes a day uh, yeah. specifically. Okay. With, yeah. But curious about where that came from for you. Yeah. So I guess um, in terms of my own observations, both in terms of my students, cause I get to, um, you know, follow them on LinkedIn over time and see them sort of progress through their careers and, um, also teaching some postgraduate students and, and they're sort of in a position of management often and they're sort of trying to improve on their, their skills. So I guess where I was coming from is that being a better manager kind of implies that it's a journey. So that's one thing I wanted to really get across that actually there's not like, there's no sort of course or jargon or, you know, trend that can just make you a better manager straight away. But there are lots of things that can help us to be a better manager over time. And I think the other thing is that we also change over time. So we have our own experience, we have mentors, we have, you know, support teams, whatever it is. And, and so all of those things change who we are over time and how we, how we do things. So being a better manager was sort of aimed at um, those, uh, those sort of students who are, you know, sort of put into, put into a position of supervising people or giving advice to people who are managing, because I deal with a lot of HR students. So it's like, well, you're going to be giving advice. So good to know there's a kind of um in some ways there seems to be a disconnect with some in the hr profession who kind of don't think that helping people manage better is part of what an hr manager does which kind of surprised me i, I would have thought that's really important so i wanted to capture that aspect and then the second aspect was just my own observations in the workplace of like someone in a call center gets promoted because they're really good at the it answering people and they're good on their calls and then suddenly they're in charge of a small team of five people they get no input whatsoever about how to actually deal with these five people, which is quite a different skill. Um, and it's not a technical skill at all. I mean, there are elements of technique, I guess, but, mm. you know, in some ways it's a, it's a relationship skill or it's a, and, and yeah, so it was about, about trying to really help those people who are suddenly find themselves in a position of being in charge of people, but not necessarily having much input. So I was really wanted to just do something that's like, um, being a better manager is like, well, that's really important when it comes to managing people. And that's kind of the area I, I think has been a little bit missed out yeah. in sort of some of the, there's a lot of stuff about time management, project management, whatever. I just thought that people element had, was a little bit missing. And probably the most important. Yeah, part. that's my opinion. But <laughs> <laughs> and it's the hardest part to get right yeah. because we are so complex. I mean, yeah. you talk to me about time management strategies and principles. It's like, yep, I can, I get that and I can apply yeah. that and it makes sense. Yes. People don't make sense. No. And I don't think they're supposed to. No, I don't, I don't think you can really like the, you meet people all the time who are completely different to you, have a different perspective. So that's the same in the workplace. So it's about how do I put in place some strategies which might help me to, um, not only to understand that myself, but also to really engage it and use it as a positive. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, what I'm seeing uh, is that people are looking for things, learning like lessons or growth opportunities that they can uh, do quickly. Uh, yeah. And I, I have a concern about that, that, um, that quick learning isn't necessarily the deep learning. Yeah. Are you, what what are you finding, particularly given that you operate in the education space? Yeah, um, I, I think that's true. I think, um, and again, I think it's probably part of human nature. It's certainly part of my nature. So I don't know if I'm extrapolating that I want to get a solution. So I want, I want to, you know, my first thing is, okay, how do we solve this? And I think what we really need to do is kind of take a bit more time to say, okay, so what's, what's underpinning this? What are the sort of interrelated connections? Um, you know, to try and separate out the facts from my kind of, you know, some of that stuff about decision making, you know, get uh, get a wider view and 
understand some of the some of the facts versus my emotional reactions to them. Uh, all of this stuff kind of requires reflection. And and then I think you know there's another element that we have to kind of say well. Um, how, how do I take the time to really understand all the different dimensions of the problem? And how do I get different perspectives on the problem? And then I can move to a solution and probably look at a number of different solutions and see which one's going to be best, which is kind of a bit different to just going, okay, well, I need this and this will, this will fix everything. So um, the five minutes a day thing kind of came from the point of view of let's just make a start rather than to say that, you know, this is going to solve everything. Um, and I kind of cheat because I say, well, the last five minute a day session is to plan your next one hour session. So, you know, mm. it's uh, it's about saying, well, I've started now. How do I actually build that into my my practice as a leader? And it really is about building a practice because once you've, so five minutes a day, five days a week is what you're saying. Yeah. Um, I read a book recently, um, Peak Minds by Amishi Jha, and she talks about the importance of mindfulness. And she says 12 minutes a day, five okay. days a week. And so you kind of go, huh, well, I can't find an hour for mindfulness to sit there and do nothing because that kind of doesn't make sense in my in my day. Um, but I can find 12 minutes. That's That's fine. And so what I like about the five minutes is it's the amount of time you take to get a cup of coffee. Exactly. Yeah. And I guess, I guess where that's coming from is like, it's probably more important to make a start and to believe that it's possible to find five minutes. And, you know, I think, I think the, the subtext is that after you've done five, you're going to be able to find 10 and, you know, to build it up. Um, but really it's a part of the thing was, well, like to, to overcome that, that hurdle that we all have, especially again, just harking back to newly appointed frontline managers or, you know, leaders is they just are under so much time pressure. It's like, well, don't be, don't be put off by that. Just find five minutes and make a start and then you'll see the benefits. And if you, if you follow through, then actually you'll, you'll generate time by, you know, delegating more appropriately and so on. Yeah. What do you think uh, needs to happen for us to let go of the lure of I'm so busy, I don't have time? Yeah, that's a really good question. <laughs> I think, I think we are genuinely more busy, but I think there's also a, a kind of societal pressure to never not be busy. So it's like, how you're going, the first response is usually, oh, I'm so busy. That's like kind of the expected response. So it's it's kind of counterintuitive to say that we need to be more reflective, but I, I think it's what we need. Um, and I think it probably comes back to what we were talking about before. It's like, okay, so in terms of my own um, understanding of myself and my situation, the I'm so busy thing um, is is there but it's not the whole story mm. and so it's like okay so how am I going to manage the amount of busyness that is being thrust upon me so yeah that's sort of how I'd answer it answers I almost think like the more we say it the more we project it and the more yeah. that it kind of manifests and happens and and there is something about that societal pressure because you know when people say you know how are things going the first thing I want to say is busy and then I stop myself and I'm like things are going great and it feels incongruent when I say it, but I have to actually sit with that and go, no, things really are going great and it is fast and it is busy, but I don't want to focus on the busy side because that feels exhausting. Yeah. Um, and so is it about, you know, what do you say when people say, how are things going? Well, I often fall into the same trap and just say I'm really busy and then try and qualify it. But I agree with you. I think the better answer is, you know, things are going really well because, you know, in a sense, I have some control over how busy I am. So if I'm busy, then, you know, that's what I've chosen. So, um, and I think the other thing is, um, 
you know, we're busy with productive things. So uh, we're busy trying to raise a family or we're busy with our volunteer work or we're busy with our paid work or we're busy with our education. Like, you know, in a sense, it's saying I'm so busy is, is kind of like a just a reaction kind of answer. But the full story is um, I've got a reasonably balanced life and I'm busy in many areas and I'm really enjoying that. That's probably the right answer, you know. Well, maybe um, because I, I feel like this, the past year has been about how do you increase your effectiveness because of all of that is that maybe for the 12 months ahead, we can swap out. I'm busy to I'm, I'm super effective. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. Try it's got a good ring to it. And, <laughs> and then, then you start to project effectiveness and you start to say, I don't need to go to that meeting or I do need to go to that one or to, you know, your, uh, and I'd love you to share the because you talk about um, you talk about four components of building trust, but you talk about mindset, motivation, behavior, and application. And I feel yeah. like effectiveness could be tied to to each of those four really well. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I, I think just to that point you made earlier that actually we're coming out of that COVID time. I think the other thing is we have got tied up in a lot more meetings as well. So we actually. We have less time and there is there is a real sense of like, okay, things have changed again. I need to sort of sit down and have a look again. It's, it's the reflection. Do I need to be in that meeting? Because I would say that the virus of copy all emails has entered the space of meetings. And so now, well, everyone can attend, so I'll just invite everyone. Like, so well, actually that's a huge waste of resources and time. So I need to be more conscious about, you know, do I really need to be there? What am I going to offer? Um, you know, those sorts of questions. So yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I think um, I think that is a real issue. Mm. So how? So I don't know whether this is. I see a correlation between your first two mindset and motivation. I see them as being quite interlinked. I also see the connection between behavior and application. But are you yeah. able to differentiate like mindset, motivation, and how they kind of operate? Yeah, that's a really good. That's a really good question. I think they are related. I was sort of trying to break it down in a way that kind of helped simplify. But I think all of these things are connected, particularly when you're leading people, they're all um, highly interrelated. With mindset, I was, I was trying to make the point that um, the temptation to go in with, I have to be perfect because now I'm a manager is such a, a, a risk to be avoided. And so that mindset about, you know, learning from mistakes and being comfortable in making my own mistakes or acknowledging that someone might be more expert in an area than I am, so it's more about that kind of like internal dialogue. It's like, it's okay if things go wrong. That's a learning opportunity. Some of that growth mindset material is really helpful in that, in that area. Um, so in some ways, it was just trying to give people an opportunity to reflect on, okay, so how am I going into this situation myself? Whereas the motivation was more about um, to what extent am I just about my career, my goals, my achievement, getting out of, like, I think we've all seen those managers which sort of came through in the sort of the commentary about the worst managers people ever had um, was that they were just in it for themselves. They, were, they didn't care if they made a mess, they'd be out of there in two years and onto the next thing. So it was, that was what the, so again, it was trying to ask people to consciously consider like, what is my motivation here? And to really point to the fact that having a motivation that it's about helping your team to achieve is a much better place to be leading people from than I'm in it for myself and I'm out of here shortly. So in a summary way, that's kind of what I was asking people to consider. Mm. So I, the behavior and application, again, I, I think are, are related, as you said. Um, the behavior was, and is, is thinking about how am 
I enacting those things? So once I've thought about, you know, my mindset and my motivation, what does my behavior show about that? Mm. Because of the thing of people, people's perceptions, but also about, am I consistent in what I'm trying to do? Uh, am I being honest and upfront and, and doing the things I say I'm going to do, et cetera? Mm. And then the, the application was again about, you know, trying to really ensure that I am putting in place some techniques because the other thing I thought, I sort of almost left application out and then I thought, well, if these are new new managers, new leaders, there needs to be a little bit of guidance about how practically do you delegate? Like that is a difficult thing to understand. How do I run a meeting and have proper consultation? Um, so the application was more about, okay, so if we've got those earlier parts correct, here's some ways you can actually apply them. So it was kind of coming from that space. Yeah, I love it. Um, and Dominic, you'll have to forgive me because I love to kind of make connections between things, but there's this, um, oh, it's a concept in the coaching space that I work in around this um, be, do, have. All right. Is, um, and so, you know, a, a leader who can really be, um, I guess, balanced in, in their approach is who am I being? What am I doing? And then what do I have? And when I look at your, when I look at your model, I go, who am I being mindset, motivation? What am I doing? I go behavior and application. And then what do I have is that reflection piece at the end. So I can, <laughs> I can see this, you know, this beautiful kind of, it's a, it, it's complete with that. Great. Yeah. Now, that's really interesting. I mean, I, I haven't come across that. So that's that's really interesting that there's that connection. But I kind of say, in some ways, all I'm doing is is saying things that other people would know and have different models to say, but it's kind of targeted at a particular audience and trying to put it in a way that they can understand it. But there's mm -hmm. a lot of this wisdom is there in different places. And I'd hope people would sort of go on to explore, you know, things like grit and, and all those other things and, and the growth mindset and all those other things can really help us to put them into practice and to, to challenge our thinking. Mm, yeah. And you definitely haven't taken an exhaustive effect in your book. Cause I think that can be overwhelming. Yeah. And I even think the size of your book, like how, uh, you know, how many pages it was seems to be quite um, uh, on purpose um, yeah, you know, in terms of <laughs> if it's five minutes a day, how do I make this simple, applicable and just get people to start. And I love that you kind of go, well, then become more curious about all of the other stuff because there is so much stuff and you can just go on forever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's very, very applicable. It seems really relevant. And I think, you know, new leaders would definitely get something out of it. Great. Yeah. I was, I was hoping to create a bit of a jumping off platform. It's like, okay, well, here's a start, you know, let's just jump off and then yeah. you know, the world's your oyster sort of thing. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I want to thank you so much for your time today. It's great to have a conversation with you and explore some of those things around, um, you know, trust and, and honesty and, and mindset, et cetera, and, you know, how we, we make progress and finding the time. So thank you so much for, for taking the time. No, thank you, Shelley. It's been fantastic to talk to you and that wonderful, wonderful insights you've got. So thanks again. Excellent. And thanks everyone for listening. I look forward to another Dynamic Leader conversation with you soon. Thanks again for listening to another episode of The Dynamic Leader. There is no better time than now to work through your leadership and people strategy, to establish what the future might look like for your business and how you might empower your people to help you succeed. It is through building the capability of your people and reducing their dependency on you that will keep you moving forward at pace and will see you remaining relevant in the future. I have worked with over 100 businesses across almost as many industries and seen firsthand the challenges that come with employing, engaging and managing staff. 
If you're looking to improve how you lead, why not reach out for a conversation? In the meantime, thanks so much for joining me and stay awesome.